Hear the word of God from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Edition. You can find this reading on page 954 in the Pew Bible or on the screens. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm usually not one to use sports metaphors very often in my sermons. It's not because I don't enjoy sports. In fact, I follow just about every major sport and have an avid interest in them. It's because I recognize that not everybody in the church follows sports, and those that do have different sports that they enjoy more than others, and that different people have different sports teams that they follow more avidly than others. And the last thing that I would want to do as a preacher is to espouse a certain sport or a certain team and therefore cause division within the congregation. That's the last thing that I would want to do. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I have no idea sometimes. Sometimes my hand just does that. I don't know why. But when the Golden State Warriors defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers last Monday night, capping one of the greatest playoff runs in the entire championship history of the National Basketball Association, people took notice. Even the players on the losing side, even LeBron James was interviewed earlier in the series And he even had to admit that he was facing a team that, in his words, quote, ranked right up there in terms of one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA, which would beg the question, why? What what makes the Golden State Warriors so great? Well, the answer might surprise you, because it appears to be taken right out of the playbook of the Apostle Paul himself. And for any of us this morning who feels like we are locked in a championship-sized battle with the adversity that we're facing in our lives or in the world, Paul's advice and this example from the Golden State Warriors just might be the word that we need to hear. 
The day after the Golden State Warriors won their championship, a sports columnist named Les Carpenter, writing for a publication called The Guardian, wrote an article with an intriguing title. It was this, The Warriors would be lesser champions without Steve Kerr's gift for joy. Steve Kerr is the coach of the Warriors, a former NBA champion himself. And while the columnist gives all due credit to the players, crediting them for their skills and their talents and their hard work, indeed, he says, there is one ingredient that takes this great team and elevates them into one of the greatest ever. He says it's not just the players, because in fact, on that team are certainly future Hall of Fame players, a great team indeed, but there is one thing that elevates them to one of the greatest teams ever, and that is joy. This is what he says in the article. The Warriors, who went 16-1 and this postseason, are unlike any other sports empire. They don't motivate with anger. They don't belittle one another. They win because they like who they are. They win because of culture. That's what makes them so hard to beat. And as long as Kerr stays at Golden State, they will remain the league's best team. What a fascinating statement. What the columnist is saying is, that even beyond the X's and O's, even beyond the playbook and the strategies, even beyond the skills and the talents of the individual players, even beyond the hard work that they put in, there is a secret sauce to the success of this basketball team. Because after all, every other team in the NBA has really talented players. Every other team puts in a lot of hard work. That alone is not what makes this team so exceptional. What does make this team amazing is that they have discovered that it is the culture that they create together. It's in the way they treat one another. It's in the way they see themselves that truly makes them remarkable. In the columnist's words, they don't motivate with anger. They don't belittle each other. And they like who they are. And that culture, according to this columnist, has only one source. It comes from only one place. It comes from the top down. It comes from their coach, Steve Kerr, who has graciously given them a gift. This command and this model in his own actions of joy onto his players. And now it's the player's job to participate in it. It's their job to take that model of joy and exemplify it in their actions, to participate in it from the top down, from the bottom up. Why in the world am I doing the gator chomp? I have no idea what my hands are doing. But that's that's the idea. Joy comes from above, and then we participate in it. And verse after verse, chapter after chapter, that is the twofold idea through the book of Philippians. A gift of joy comes to us from God. That's one. But we have to do something with it. 
2,000 years ago, there was another coach. This coach's name was the Apostle Paul. And he was coaching teams of young Christians who were new to the faith all throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. And as he was sitting down to write a letter, a kind of halftime speech to the team that was playing in Philippi, he began to wonder what kind of unique message he needed to give the Philippians, given who they were. And he was amazed. From almost the first verse in the book of Philippians, he remarks how amazingly talented the players are in the Christian community in Philippi. He marvels at their faithfulness, at their diligence, at their hard work. And so he realizes that the message he can give them is unlike any message to any other church. Because this community in Philippi was already great. But the question was whether they would be great in their influence and greatly important to the world. You know, it's almost as if he's saying in the book of Philippians, he's saying, you know what? I, I don't have to go through the X's and O's in the playbook like I do with the Corinthians. <laughs> the book of Corinthians is just one play after another, one prescription, one formula for that they have to follow. And he says, I don't have to go back to basics. I don't, I don't have to teach you the fundamentals of the faith like I do the Romans. That's what the Romans book is, all about the basics of the Christian faith. And he says, I don't have to motivate you. I don't have to wake you up. I don't have to get you to work hard like I do with those Thessalonians. They're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. But with you all, with, with you Philippians, with you amazingly talented, passionate, gifted, faithful people, probably much like the way he would speak to the people at Hyde Park. He says, I've, I've got a message for you because you can truly be something great. You can truly do something remarkable for the kingdom. And so for four whole chapters, he calls those Philippians to up their game and to pay attention not just to their individual skills, their, their personal walks with Jesus, but to pay attention to their culture to pay attention to the relationships that they have with each other, to pay attention to the way that they look at themselves, not more highly than they should, how they should adopt a mindset of humility, how they should do nothing without murmuring or grumbling or complaining or arguing. In other words, according to Paul, be joyful with one another. That is the championship ingredient for a Christian community. Now that leads to the question, what exactly is this joy that Paul is talking about? I mean, when we think about joy, we often think of euphoria or happiness, and often it is. Sometimes when we think of joy, we think of pleasure or an escape from pain, and sometimes it is. But that's not the kind of joy that Paul is really talking about. That, that kind of joy flees and fades and tarnishes. What Paul is really talking about here is a joy that sinks deep within a person's identity and helps them to view themselves 
through the lens of God's grace, and it shapes their relationships with others, and it informs the context of connections with people even beyond themselves. This kind of joy shapes an entire community of people, because in Paul's mind, joy is not something to just be experienced individually. It is something that unites us together and reminds us that we are greater together than any of us are on our own. And you know what? I think you all get that. I know that to be the case because of the way that you visualized that word joy this past week as not something to be taken individually, but something to be shared in joyful relationships with one another. As you may know, last Sunday we extended an invitation for you to take the daily keyword that is lifted right out of the upcoming Sunday morning texts and try to visualize it in pictures and for you to share that picture that you found either around you or online via social media through the hashtag Hyde Park UMC. We'll be doing this all throughout the next few weeks as we go through Philippians. And when it came to that word joy, I was amazed at the number of pictures that you all shared in this sort of online virtual gallery and Bible study of the number of times your pictures were of relationships with other people. Not just you individually experiencing joy, but doing so in community, doing so as a group, doing so in your relationships with other people, so that your pictures showed human connections and a culture of harmony and mutual love. You get it. The Golden State Warriors sure get it. And there is no mistaking where Paul identifies the source of that kind of joy to be shared in community. The warriors know it comes from their coach, and Paul knows that it comes from our coach, from the one that he praises in the first part of that chapter 2 of Philippians. It comes from Jesus. It's just Jesus Christ who came to give himself in utter humility not regarding himself more highly than he ought, but giving himself as a servant to all people. And Paul reminds us that this joy comes, first of all, as a gift of God's grace. It is not something that we can conjure up on our own. Paul, after all, says in the verse last week, I am convinced that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. This kind of joy does not come from within us. It is not something we can manufacture or conjure. It is a gift given to us from God. That is the only source for this kind of compelling joy. And now it is our job to follow the coach's orders, to get out onto the floor, to participate in that joy, and to do what God has called us to do, to live in right relationships with each other, in joy. That is the twofold nature of this kind of joy. It comes from God, and it requires our participation. It is both received and it is lived. And the question is, why is that so important? Why is God calling us to be this kind of people? Why is God calling the church to be a joyful place in which our relationships and our culture together matter? And it's very clear for Paul, the stakes are so high. What's at stake here is not just some championship sports trophy that will tarnish or fade 
but because the world needs us to model this kind of culture for a world that knows nothing about it. Especially in a week that began with the observance of the one-year anniversary of the tragic shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And as the week went by, we saw further evidence of even more violence that people were capable of. Tragic shooting in San Francisco and in the D.C. area. Further reminder of just how evil people can be when their hearts are fueled by fear and by hatred and by divisive rhetoric that only pulls us further and further apart. That's what's at stake here. This is why our coach is calling us to be a people of joy. Not for our own pleasure, but because the world needs this kind of transformative joy from God. That's why... As Paul is making this argument to the Philippians, he uses this phrase, this compelling phrase. He says, hold fast to the word of life. He says, don't give up. No matter how dark this world gets, no matter how addicted to violence and broken it may feel, hold fast to that word of life. Don't give up. In other words, persevere. That was the key word this past week that we invited you to reflect on visually. Persevere. And my goodness, what what images you all brought forth. Amazing images of what it means to persevere against the odds and in the midst of darkness. Persevere like this image of Rosa Parks who refused to sit in the back of the bus. She held forth to that word of life. She persevered. An image like this one of candles and vigils on the day of the pulse shooting, a reminder to hold fast to that word of life, even in the midst of violence. This image of women throughout history who persevered against all odds and held on to that word of life that made them move forward. This image that I found of a Parthenon-like building that was erected entirely out of books on the former site of a Nazi book burning. It's perseverance. That's holding fast to the word of life. I love this last image someone submitted of of well-worn shoes. That's perseverance. Evidence of how we are called to hold fast to the word of life no matter the odds, one step at a time. That is what is at stake today. Not a championship sports trophy, but because God is calling us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a broken world, in His words, to shine like stars in the world. To shine right there in the middle of the darkness. To take this gift that God has given to us and in Paul's words, shine amid a crooked and perverse generation. God has given us this gift of joy and it is now our turn to participate in it. To begin with the way we treat one another in the culture of this church and then in the way we treat people out in the world. To love each other. To to combat the ferociously divisive and combative rhetoric that is poisoning our airwaves, our social media, and even in our personal conversations with one another. 
to stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed, to see other people with human dignity as fellow children of God, no matter who they are, regardless of prejudice or bias, to practice humility in which we don't see ourselves more highly or less lowly than any other person, but as all of us are mutually connected and grounded and interdependent with each other in mutual love and respect, to live without grumbling or complaining or arguing in a world that seems so addicted to inane debates time after time again rather than constructive conversations. It is up to us. The coach has given us the gracious gift. It is now up to us to live into that example, to live into that joy that comes from the grace of God and the example of Jesus Christ. You know, as it turns out, (laughs) it turns out God loves a daily picture challenge too. Saw evidence of that this past week. It was unmistakable, and I know that many of you saw it. It happened last Wednesday night after a long, rainy day of stormy weather as people were heading back home from work during their afternoon commute, as people were starting to cram into Raymond James Stadium to watch the U2 concert. Our coach drew up a play in the sky. It was a rainbow, a double one, in fact, that spanned the skylines and hovered over the treetops all throughout the Tampa Bay area. I know many of you saw it because I started to see in my Facebook feed images from so many of you all over the city, images of this remarkable rainbow. There was a picture from a church member named Ken Snyder who saw this from his vantage point over Highway 41. And then there was this beautiful one over the Tampa skyline by our very own Brent Walker. And then there were numerous ones from friends attending that U2 concert over Raymond James Stadium. I've never seen so many pictures of Raymond James Stadium. I think half of you were at that concert (laughs) on Wednesday night. But by far, my favorite image to catch my attention came from our very own Brad Krantz. Wednesday, after this marvelous chance of choir finished its practice, they walked out onto the parking lot and they saw this. Apparently, even God loves a good daily picture challenge. And this one is the best reminder of all. It's from God's playbook, really, it's from our coach. And, you know, this coach would say about this team at Hyde Park, all of us, they would say, you know, you all, you all are good players. By and large, you know the fundamentals. You know the X's and O's. You know the playbook pretty well. And so now God is calling us to step up our game, to, to not just be a, a great church, but to be a greatly impactful church. And it begins with our culture. It begins with the way we see ourselves and the way that we see each other. To do things without murmuring or grumbling or complaining or arguing. To adopt a mindset of humility, just like the one that came from Jesus. 
where we don't see ourselves too highly or too lowly, but where we see each other as mutually connected, as people of human dignity. And then to dare to share that culture of joy out there into the world, out there where, where people are in the dark and what they need is for the church to shine out there like stars in the sky. That, that's what our coach is telling us to do. And that coach is a gift to us. And so the real question for us is whether or not we will get out into that floor and execute the coach's instructions to be a people of joy with each other and with the world. Because God knows this world really needs it. Let us pray together. So, oh God, we give you thanks for this gracious gift, this, this call to joy. It is not about ourselves, not about temporary pleasures, but about the way we will choose to live in harmony and peace with one another. Thank you for this remarkable gift. And now we pray that you will empower us to do what you've called us to do, to treat each other with dignity, to not be motivated by anger, to like who we are based on your grace alone, and then to share that love with the world around us. We thank you for this precious gift, for your example in Jesus Christ, and for our capacity to build your kingdom out in this dark world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our coach, and our Savior and Lord. And let all God's people say, Amen.